0: This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. All right, before we get going with this episode, I need your help. This show is starting to make some serious inroads in the soccer community with coaches, players, and those around the game, and I can't thank you enough for your support for your messages, for the sharing of the show on social media. It really means the world to me when you do that. Help me continue to grow this podcast in three different ways. So way number one, you can find us on 11 different podcasting platforms. Places like Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, among others. If you listen to this show on Apple Podcast, stop what you're doing right now, go there, leave a five-star rating, and a review. If you've never done it before, it's incredibly easy to do. It would mean the world to me if you could do that. So here's what a recent guest and a listener to this show has said about this podcast. Jason is a quality interviewer who has great guests. You will pick up great things all across the coaching landscape can't recommend this enough and my thanks to Rudy Radiger, the head men's and women's soccer coach at Lackawanna College for that tremendously nice review way number two that you can support this show tell a coaching friend or colleague player someone in the soccer community about this podcast word of mouth believe it or not in 2019 still matters. Your opinion about this show still matters. Podcasts are an absolutely fantastic professional development tool. I had mentioned on another coaching podcast of the number of podcasts that I listen to on a weekly basis. It's somewhere between 8 and 10 on any given week. Make this a part of your weekly routine by subscribing to the show. Way number three, If you'd like an episode of this show or something a guest has said about a particular topic, share it on social media and make sure that you tag me. My handle on Twitter or Instagram is at SoccerCoachJB. That helps other coaches, players, folks in the soccer community find out about this show. All right, let's get on with the episode. How do you make people feel? That is a phrase Aaron Rodgers, the head women's soccer coach at Ohio University, has in his Twitter profile. This began our conversation in episode 24 of the On the Touchline podcast, which you'll hear shortly. The reason I mention this is because building a desirable culture is something that each and every one of us as coaches Strives to do with our teams, with our programs, with the clubs that we coach at. It's something that players seek when selecting a program or a club to play for. So Aaron has drawn some of his inspiration as a coach from the legendary UCLA coach, John Wooden. And here's a quote from Rogers from this episode. John Wooden said this, I want the players to be the best athlete for the team, not the best athlete on the team. And so he explains what he means by that in this particular episode. I admire that Aaron has played the long game of getting to the division one level as a coach. He volunteered, he worked in the club game, he worked his way up the college ranks, And at one point in his career, he actually was working in sales, but also trying to make it in the college game. If you've been following me on social media, you'll know this love affair that is developed in coaching goalkeepers. And I'm currently taking some steps to uh, elevate my licensure and experience uh, in that level. I absolutely am drawn to that position on the uh, soccer pitch. Aaron was a goalkeeper in his playing days and he talks about how this has benefited him as a coach throughout his career and how this has helped him understand and read the game. I hope you enjoy episode 24 of the On the Touchline podcast in my conversation with the head women's soccer coach at Ohio University, Aaron Rodgers. So I'm uh, curious, I was, was doing some research, and typically I, I normally ask guests the opening question of, you know, talk about their journey and talk about their childhood and things like that, but I'm actually going to start a little differently uh, today. And it's something from your Twitter bio that uh, really resonated with me, um, not only as a fellow coach, but as a person that, um, you know, really believes in in positivity and and that sort of thing. And I I wrote it down and it says, uh, how do you make uh, others feel? And I guess I'm curious as to where that came from and sort of the mindset that, you know, how that maybe has uh, factored into your coaching life or your personal life and uh sort of that belief of uh you know how do you make others feel uh, as a coach well i think um
1: it it is yeah because a coach i mean i look at coaching and i look at at life as kind of all in one really and um and so i i try to every day when i interact with other people how do i make them feel do i make them happy do i can i make them smile um do I make them go, oh, That that person's not very friendly about me or that person's grumpy today or uh, whatever? Because I, anytime we interact with people, I want them to to get something positive out of it. And that's a really, really hard thing to do because we all deal with things in our life, stresses and and external pressures and so if i if I can remember that and I can put that in my in the forefront of my mind, that when I interact with people, not only people that I see every day um, in the office or um, around campus, but also when you go to Starbucks and get a coffee or you go to uh, McDonald's or wherever, and you interact with people do after your interaction with them, do they say? wow that person must enjoy what they do or that person must be happy and and i want them to feel that same thing so um i I struggle with it every day i mean i I can't say that that uh, i'm perfect that i don't think anybody is but i just a reminder for me and i i say this to my children all the time i I have two kids in elementary school and i say that to them How, how do how do you make your teachers feel at the end of the day are they saying oh wow, Luke or Reese is, is really engaging with with me or with the other students, or are they being grumpy because that grumpiness can be, um, contagious and so can positivity. And so that's where I want to side on that positivity, encouraging
0: side. Well, I, I, I love what you said that, uh, sort of recognizing that, um, you know, we're all human, right. And that, uh, is even to our our best efforts, some days we fail and uh, no, but still we go back to that mantra. We go back to that idea and we don't abandon it. Even if, you know, uh, if someone's having a grumpy day or if someone's, you know, uh, encountering some challenges in their life or, or whatnot. So uh, I, I like that because I think sometimes as coaches, you know, uh, at least in my experience um, you know, parents seem to think that we have all the answers, right. Yeah. (laughs) And then we have it all figured out. Uh, yeah. But yet in reality, um, no, we don't. Uh, and, and that's OK to admit that, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, tell me about your childhood and what your soccer experience was like uh, growing up. Um, I know you played collegiately, I believe, at North Texas yeah. and went on to play uh, you know, professionally. Um, but what was your soccer experience like uh, as a child? Yeah, I mean, I would say I wouldn't say the USL at the
1: time was professional, but it was. We were we were we were getting paid very peanuts and and traveling in vans and and um, really old buses. But now to be able to play um, after college at a high level, that was such a privilege to be able to do that. But I grew up in um, in Texas, in the North Texas area, and uh, I started playing soccer probably in the late '70s as a young person. And um, it was just my parents were neither one of them knew anything about soccer. And it just happened to be something that uh, it was a community and um, soccer was available as something extra to do. And my parents said, you want to try soccer? I said, sure, let's try it. And it kind of just stuck from that. I I can be a bit obsessive about certain things um, and I'm competitive and i had a bit of aptitude for soccer somehow and it just stuck with me and i and i just became obsessed with it and passionate about it and i just wanted to play i just wanted to watch it i just wanted to read about it and obviously as i was growing up it was i would seek out every way to but in the early 80s or throughout the 80s it was very difficult um to find soccer on tv Um, and we didn't have the internet or anything that you could go and look on youtube for videos so it was it was a challenge but um, growing up in the uh, dallas fort worth area the dallas sidekicks were an indoor team Uh, they i think they still have a team but it was back in the misl days when that was when the indoor soccer was pretty popular and and they were very good. And so I would get to go to those games and watch that. And soccer was big uh, as a youth sport in North Texas. And just being around it, it was it was it was awesome. And um, staying close to home to go to college and play um, was was great. Uh, but it was uh, it, it was just something that I was passionate about. And, uh, and I wanted to continue um, living that passion out uh, for the rest of my life.
0: What uh? What made you want to become a coach? Uh,
1: well, it just—I had the fortune of it falling into my lap, really. Um, when I played at North Texas, um, I didn't get to play my senior year. Um, that was back at the early days of the Title IX um, kind of transition and adding women's sports, and North Texas decided they needed to add a women's sport and women's soccer was going to be the one. So they, they canceled our team my senior year. So I didn't play in 2000 or 19, sorry, 2000. Well, I'm not that young in 1994. um, And then they started a women's program in 1995. And um, our coach, John Headland, who's still the head coach at North Texas to this day asked me if I wanted to help out because he didn't have a b- really big budget. He was, uh, they didn't have budget for an assistant coaches and I was there and I had a good relationship with him and I did, I played goalkeeper. He wanted someone to train some goalkeepers and you know, the rest is history. Um, it was just, it was a great relationship I had with John. I was there. I was willing to do about it and I felt like it was something that I could do.
0: And, um, and then, as I said, it just kind of flowed from there. When I was uh, reading a little bit about your uh, bi- biography and sort of your your coaching history, um, I think the the one thing that stood out to me was the sort of the you know playing the long game, right, to becoming a, a Division One women's coach or Division uh-huh. I coach in in general, and that uh, that doesn't just happen overnight. And you know, we live in a a world in a society right now where sort of that, right? That um, people want to abandon a dream if they don't, you know, if they're not the 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 top person tomorrow, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you volunteered, uh, I think, at, at Florida, right? Yep. With, uh, yes. Uh, you know, uh, B- Becky Burley uh, mm-hmm. was, uh, yeah. So. Yes. Um, worked in the club game in Ohio yes Uh, yeah uh, you've worked at other colleges and other universities and um, so I'm interested in sort of what that journey that you know the 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 Beatles song of like the long and winding road yeah Uh, what was what was that like
1: well I can add a little different dimension to it as well it was it has been a very unique and interesting path and um, I actually when I left uh, the club scene in, in Cincinnati I actually moved to Florida and got into sales. So I got out of full-time coaching and went into, into sales, um, because I had this opportunity to go and make all this money. And sometimes, you know, you get, you get enamored with things like that. And, and I, so I went down to Florida and went into sales full time. Now I am so passionate about the game and I love it so much. I still coached, part-time so I was coaching at North Florida um, as a part-time because they were D2 at the time and uh, Mike Munch was the coach at the time and um, he didn't have any full-time assistants so I was there helping him there and then at Flagler College um, at the time was transitioning from NAI to Division two, and again no full-time assistants so I was there um, filling that role as a part-time assistant and, and then I had the opportunity. I've known Becky for a long time, and I had the opportunity to go. She asked me to come and be their volunteer, and so I had the ability to do that. And at that point, I knew that I my passion lies in coaching, and to I knew that working with Becky would help me to get back into a full time position. Um, somewhere and it obviously um, so it was, a, it was an interesting journey but it, it, it was a journey so much of, of not only patience with coaching but really introspection as a human and what's important to you and where do your passions lie and how can you best um, go out and affect and, and be able to, to
0: help and mentor people <laughs> How have uh, all those experiences uh, working with, uh, you know, different coaches, different styles, different philosophies, different, um, you know, how they get the most out of their players, I guess you could say. How have those things influenced you in terms of your philosophy uh, of what you're trying to do at Ohio?
1: Well, I think really, and I, I've I've evolved so much over over the years, um, I think you think about, I think so much now about how to interact with the players on a personal level and how much do they think that you care about them as a person more so than as a soccer player. And again, these, we all, if we're competitive and we want to compete higher and higher levels, you know, you got to push people to get better and you got to push people to achieve their best potential. And so sometimes they may lose sight of that you're doing that out of care for them as opposed to just pushing them, pushing them, oh, they're chasing wins. He's chasing wins. And and I, I think one of the things that in my evolution as a coach, if I were to go to a new program or another place, I would lead I wouldn't lead with winning. I wouldn't lead with we want to win. I wouldn't lead with that. Because as much as everybody wants to the players nowadays have to understand that you're in the the process with them and not just for an end result of that process. And, you know, me as a person, I've never changed how much I care about people or how much I'm passionate about this or how much I, I believe in these um, players. But the message and the delivery has changed. And I think a lot of that has come – uh, from Becky and and um, spending the time with them, with her in that program and the other coaches in that program, and the things that she's done um, since then with with her kind of um, culture building uh, and individual building um, endeavors, and I, I really feel like I've learned so much from so many different coaches from the soccer side of things, and also the ones that were have been successful are those that have cared about the whole process and not just that end result. And that's what I've tried to do. And a lot of that is it comes back to from what, you know, you led with, with how do you make others feel? And that's how I want to, that's how I want to be perceived as a coach and a mentor and not just that person has won so many games.
0: The, I think the amount of trust that families and parents put in us as coaches and so i'm i'm working at the club level and you know with uh, academy players and, you know what what players are doing and what they you know what their their parents want from us as coaches but you know at the at the college level i mean like i said the amount of trust they're placing in you and your staff and it's not just what happens on the pitch right it's not just uh, you know, what's our win loss record or how many draws do we have? I mean, it's them as a person because, you know, I'm sure you probably have players that come back to you and say, you know, Hey coach, like this was a transformative experience And you know, you're sort of a, a person as part of that mix for them to, to be that influential piece in a way. And, um, you know, I, I just think that's really neat. And maybe that ties into sort of, you, you said the word that, uh, is definitely on my mind of, um, of culture. And so how do you shape uh, the culture that you want for your team, your program, um, you know, the type of player that you might be trying to recruit? Uh, how do you go about that? Well,
1: I think as I, as I mentioned, I don't, I don't like to use the word win as a lead as a lead phrase anymore. It, it just, it, because it, 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 makes people it. I feel like it, it makes people think that that's all you care about. And um, so that doesn't mean we don't talk about winning, but it's not the lead. And so we try to create this culture that each player feels valued for who they are, not what they do. So if they're player number one or number 28, their value to our group is the same, regardless of if they play 90 minutes of every game or zero minutes of every game. And we really stress and this was John Wooden said this in in a certain way. Um, Another group of of, um, kind of culture building people have said this is, you know, I want the players to be the best athlete for the team, not the best athlete on the team. If they all have that mentality, then they all know that they're mutually in this together and that they have a mutual respect and they're then going to get better. And so that's really the biggest thing for us. We talk a lot about togetherness. We talk a lot about embracing each role, whichever it may be. And that's a very difficult one, too, because you know, we're coming from the the players that even players that don't get to play as much on our team played just about every minute on their club team and they were uh, or their high school team. And they were typically an automatic starter. And then they come here and they may not have that same role and it's a challenge. And that is a challenge. And it never, it doesn't always go smoothly, but it, again, it comes from our staff to really impress on the, the players that there is a value for you here and, Role number 28 is just as valuable. It may not be passing the ball or running on the game days or whatever it is, but it's the mentality that you bring to encourage the person next to you to be the best that she can be. And I think, I think one of the things that I I've reiterated with our group as we came into the spring season is when we come in to practice – Or when you're preparing for practice, do you feel joy while you do it? If you're not feeling joy, then we need to help you feel that joy. Or your teammates need to help you feel that joy. Do you look forward to being a student athlete every day? And do you have somebody that can help you enjoy that every day? And those three things, if we can do those things together, then we're all going to enjoy what we do. And then we're all going to push ourselves and our neighbors to be to maximize their ability and that's all we want you may not if our team's going to get a 4.0 but if your best is a 3.5 don't compare yourself to those that are getting a 4.0 compare yourself to yourself and you know those are the things that we really stress with with this group and um you know and then again it makes the training session better it makes the environment better and then now we can all grow, and hopefully uh, get good results out of it.
0: Is the uh, you, you know this uh, is as my mom would always say to me, uh, you know this is uh, not your first rodeo, right? In terms of coaching players, and um, how have you seen players change and evolve in your time in coaching? And I have a feeling uh, the word technology probably going to get factored into this in some way. Yeah, but um how, how have you seen them change and evolve? And then how have you had to change and evolve as a coach to sort of meet their demands and and needs?
1: Well, I think they, they want understanding more. They want touchy feely more uh, in a very, not a literal sense. (laughs) They want um, to be comfortable um, with their relationships And that they really want to know that you care. I mean, you know, you look back at 10, 15 years ago and you could get away with maybe being more direct with your coaching or maybe um, uh, raising your voice here or there um, when the time. And some players, I think you can still do that, too. But they need to know that you're that you care about them as a person first and then. They can go on and, and, and as you said earlier, trust and and I think that's that's the biggest thing that um, they have. They it, it's difficult sometimes because of the technology and and to for that communication piece. They're so used to texting and that they're so used to just that instant response and that instant gratification of um, of that response. And so I have had to evolve in. And how do you communicate? And what are the things that you need to communicate about um, as it relates to how you can help them be the best person they can be on and off the field? And, and I've stressed so much about off the field because I really feel like that's what they're, they're really wanting. They're, they're yearning for that. And because, again, you look at Instagram, you look at Twitter, if you don't get immediate likes – then you feel like, oh well, I'm not doing something right, and I think that's negative because you have to be able to define yourself by who you are inside and what you're able to give back than what somebody just superficially double taps on the screen or hits the heart button. Um, I think that's where that's what our role is to help them continue to define who they are by by who they are inside, not what they do or what the world sees of them.
0: I don't know about you, but I like saving money and I have a special offer for listeners of the on the touchline podcast as a Duke TIG brand FC member. And I'd like to pass that savings on to you. If you're not familiar with Duke TIG brand and what they do, They were started by two professional women soccer players who felt that something was missing when it came to planning sessions, organizing your coaching philosophy, and figuring out your own personal style, either as a player or as a coach. These things should not be stressful, and they should be enjoyable, and they should also involve high-quality products. One of the goals of Duke Tig Brand is to provide the soccer community with those products. I can proudly say that I have used DukeTig brand for over a year now, and I absolutely love the product. I currently use the DukeTig brand trainer 2.0 plus to plan my sessions, to take notes, to do some introspection after matches and after training sessions. I absolutely swear by it, and I want you to experience the all the good things that DukeTig brand has to offer. So if you go to dukedigbrand.com and place your order, upon checkout, enter the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. That will save you 10% on your next order. I've included instructions in the show notes. Go back, give a look, and I hope you can experience the savings today. All right, now let's get back to our episode. So I think you mentioned earlier that you were a, uh, a goalkeeper yes. and uh, I am, uh, I'm drawn to, uh, goalkeepers because, uh, there's something about that position I find incredibly interesting incredibly appealing and have been working, um, you know, in my role, uh, my coaching role now with, uh, with our keepers, uh, at the club that I work for and, um, very much enjoy it, uh, and just love the, the mentality and the psychology a goalkeeper needs because uh you know let's be honest to, to be a goalkeeper you got to be a little crazy right
1: yes uh, <laughs> absolutely
0: um, so how has that helped you uh in terms of being a coach and, and i asked that question aaron because uh, a, a goalkeeper sees the whole field right mm-hmm. a goalkeeper is sort of the in some ways the the coach on the field um how has that helped you in terms of uh you know your coaching journey? Do you ever sort of go back to those moments of, of when you were a keeper? Oh, yeah. I mean, I,
1: I, I think you said it. I mean, when you're a goalkeeper, you see the whole game from a different perspective than anybody else, other than maybe a coach on the sideline, because you are seeing the whole field. And you are watching and analyzing and evaluating when the ball's not even in your half of the field. And so if you are, if you have that kind of mind where you're always evaluating or analyzing what's going on, it just kind of sticks with you. And, and then to add to that, I think being able to train goalkeepers is a skill that a lot of people, a don't want to do, or B, they don't feel like they know how to do. And so that it can really be, a uh, a helpful tool to get into, uh, especially a collegiate staff because coaches that don't feel like they have that ability are always looking for somebody. Hey, I need a goalkeeper coach. I need somebody that comes in and, and coaches, um, the goalkeepers. And then that helps you to then get other responsibilities. And, um, I think at one point in my career, I, I didn't want to be considered a goalkeeper coach because I thought, well, if, if if they think I'm a goalkeeper coach, then I think that's all I can do. And so I kind, of, I kind of shied away from that. And it was something that I look back on and I go, that's kind of silly. And, you know, I'm old now and you grow in wisdom, hopefully, as you get older. And, and I embrace it more now. I, I embrace it. I love that I have the ability to be a goalkeeper coach, um, but also be able to train the team. And, um, and I think it's, it's a special skill. And I think it helps you not only to have seen the game and read the game, but understand every position, every role on the field, not just uh, one line or two lines or whatever it might be. It, it, it helps to have a really good holistic view of the game.
0: Yeah. Um, what, what were you like as a keeper uh, in your playing
1: days? Well, I so a friend of mine that I, this is kind of, it was a backhanded compliment. I think uh, a guy that I played with in high school um, and obviously we were the same grade and we played against each other and f- with each other in, in, youth soccer and club soccer growing up. He's now the the head coach at the uh, university of Dallas, which is a, a D three school in um, Dallas, Texas. And uh, he's been there forever and been very, very successful. And, and uh, he, we ran across each other at a recruiting event a number of years ago. And, and he told me and he said, he said, Aaron, I, I always use you as an example to my goalkeepers now, my collegiate goalkeepers. And I'm like, man, that's good. Thanks. What do you say? And I'm feeling like, Oh, he was, he could fly in the air. He was super aggressive or whatever. And he said, I tell my goalkeepers that you can still be a great goalkeeper even if you're not that athletic. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was like, Oh, okay. Thank you for that. I think, but but I think, and I think that was one of the things that I wasn't the most athletic goalkeeper. Probably, I I wouldn't say I was unathletic, but my understanding of reading the game, my positional sense, my 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 hands. I think those things w- were what allowed me to be better and better, um, as opposed to having that natural athleticism to jump out of the gym or uh, be super fast or something like that. It was more based on a a cerebral approach to goalkeeping as opposed to an athletic approach.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, a question that I ask uh, everybody that comes on this podcast, um, what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong uh, with soccer in this country? And, uh, you know, you've mentioned a few things earlier that I, I definitely can relate to. Um, and I say that because, uh, you know, we grew up in a, in a similar era, uh, in terms of soccer, not being as accessible as it is today. Right. You turn on the TV virtually any day of the week now you can find soccer, uh, yeah. you know, uh, on any of the major networks. Um, you know, uh, I was watching, uh, Uh, an FA Cup uh, match late last night uh, that I had missed earlier in the day on ESPN plus. Yeah. I mean, so the accessibility of the game is there, but there's also a lot of, uh, I guess I would call them landmines in terms of structure, in terms of the Federation, in terms of, you know, the, the alphabet soup of leagues and, you know, what's premier and what's not premier and elite and, you know, so on and so forth. And so, I, I guess what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong uh, as a as a soccer country?
1: I think if you took a a view from thirty thousand feet, I think we're doing a lot of great things. I, I think that we have, as you said, there are so many opportunities to see soccer on TV now. I, I don't I don't think I would have ever left my house when I was a youth player if we had this much soccer on TV, I mean, I guess I don't really know cause I watch it all, but um, it, it is amazing for those opportunities. I think the opportunities for young people to play soccer at whatever level it is at the, at the community center level, the rec level, at the travel level, at the premier level is all there. It's, it's amazing how much opportunity there is. There's so many different leagues that are trying to, prepare these young people to play at the highest level be it the ECNL, the DA the US Youth Soccer National League uh, those are so many great opportunities to play at a high level and and to think about the f- they get to play on the the facilities they get to play in are unbelievable and i think those things were doing so many great things i mean i think you could probably Look, look back at each one of those things and pick apart why we're not creating Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi or whatever. Uh, but if you looked at it 30 years ago and said, "This is how soccer would be in this country," I don't know if people would believe you. And look where we are now. And so I like to take a, that positive look at it. I know people say, "Oh, pay to play," and are we? Are we? getting the best players, athletes to come to soccer. You know, I I don't know how it's a very challenging and uh, congested landscape of athletics in the U.S. And considering that, we have a professional league that has a lot of people that are investing in the league, a lot of money, and they obviously wouldn't be investing hundreds of millions of dollars if they didn't see a value in it. And, I mean, just to see the crew for the Haslam family to come in and, and pay $150 million to keep the crew in Columbus, I mean, that's amazing. That shows there's a massive amount of value in the sport. Um, and so I think we're doing a lot of – I think we're doing far more things good than we are bad. But then I guess you could look at it and go, okay, well, I also feel like At the tip top level, are we diluting the talent because we have so many opportunities that are premier, quote unquote, premier level between the DA, ECNL, National League? Are we, we, and I take that from a a purely recruiting uh, perspective. So when we used to go to an ECNL event or the National League event before ECNL started, you knew that would be the tip top players. But now that we've spread it out over multiple leagues, now it becomes you've got great players here, great players here, great players here, great players there. And you've had to fill in with, um, other players that are getting this wonderful opportunity, but are they congested in the same place? No. So is that a problem? I don't know. It may for a college coach trying to get a bang for their buck out of one event, but the opportunities are there for people to play at a high level. And I love that. I think that's great.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm curious if, uh, you know, in the, in the course of, uh, your journey and, you know, I guess more so recently at Ohio, if your players have sort of identified, uh, you know, uh, professional players that they would like to be like, or they idolize, um, you know, I, my eight year old son obviously knows, you know, Ronaldo and Messi and, you know, because of FIFA, he can <laughs> run down yeah. rosters, uh, like no one's business. It actually yeah. kind of blows my mind. Um, and, you know, he same thing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I tell him every day that, you know, Jackson, like the the ability to watch soccer on a daily basis. I I, I didn't have that as a kid. I said, you, you don't know how incredibly fortunate you are. So I'm, I guess I, what I'm trying to get at is, you know, if you see people doing things that you want to do, right, sort of modeling the behavior, that you would like to have someday, whether it be a coach, whether it be a player, that sort of thing. If your players have ever come to you and say, well, I, I, you know, I idolize this person and, you know, I like their style of play. I like who they are, you know, that sort of thing. And I don't know. I mean, maybe you have, maybe you haven't.
1: I mean, I would definitely say that it has happened in the past. I, but I don't, it it, it would be less of an occurrence than those that play soccer because a it's a social structure that they fit into they've played it their whole life they happen to be good at it and many of them get scholarships Um, I think those are primary reasons why they do it Um, that doesn't mean they don't like it that doesn't mean they don't love it but I try to really pass along my pure passion for the game and just watching it and enjoying it and embracing it as a fan and as a student to help you enjoy it even more and i so and so i think do our players share that same passion some of them do uh, and and i don't know if others do um but it's something that i try to continue to to pass along to the group and and I, I know some of them play, watch it and, and play on their own, but uh, you know they all have different rationales and they all have motivations of why they play, and uh, and so it's it's down to me to a respect as long as they're doing everything they can to be the best student athlete they can be to respect their 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 reasons and their motivations, and to continue to express my passion and love for what life what soccer can teach you about life and how it prepares us for the the world after soccer um because we all know how challenging it can be
0: i think i read and correct me if i'm wrong here that you've been a uh, a lifelong liverpool supporter yes, yes. okay excellent <laughs> well I, I just want to make sure i got my uh, my teams right because oh uh, yeah you know, don't don't want to call you an Everton fan like I am, right? Uh, oh,
1: you're an Everton fan? Oh, okay. Well see, well, really Everton, eh, I don't that's a local rivalry and I'm not from Liverpool, so obviously I don't share that same um passion that those that are actually from the Liverpool itself. But the biggest I cannot stand Man United. That's the team <laughs> that, that I cannot I cannot stand more than anything else. Well, uh, so uh, we have a
0: common enemy uh, yeah. because I, I I feel the same way. Um, <laughs> yeah, that if there's one one team out there, and I think it, you know, <clears throat> I guess what I would compare it to would be sort of the you know the the Yankees in uh, in baseball uh, for us as Americans. That there's just something about it, um, you know. And that period was probably when they're having their greatest success, you know, and the class of ninety two, and, and mm-hmm. sort of you know, so. Uh, hey, I, I can't dispute the success they've had, but I agree with you. There's definitely – there's something there that uh, kind of rubs me the wrong way for sure.
1: <laughs> but I'll tell you, I've, I've watched every one of the documentaries. I love I love soccer, and I love the documentaries and the inside view. So I've watched everything about Man United because I think it's amazing to be able to see that, but I still can't stand them. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it, it, so it, it's interesting because um, – you know, even as an Everton supporter and despite the struggles that Everton has had here for a while now, that um, I absolutely love Jurgen Klopp as a manager and I love watching him work. Um, You know, some people would say he takes it too far. Uh, His, you know, touchline demeanor might be a little over the top sometimes. But to me, I see a person who, I mean, just radiates passion for our game and, as a fan, I mean, how can you not get excited as a player? How can you not get excited to have that manager who, I mean, yeah, he's probably tough to play for, but on on the flip side, I mean, they've been successful. And I mean, you know, I I still think back to when Liverpool played Everton uh, earlier this season and sort of that weird fluky, you know, into the game goal that went in. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he goes, goes running on the pitch. I'm not saying most coaches should do that, but um, there was part of me that goes, like, I totally get his passion of why he did that, you know? um,
1: So, I I, I, I don't know. I could not agree more. I mean, I think he is passionate about it, and I don't know why it's wrong for a coach to have passion. I I think that coaches are – they are – giving out they are putting in everything that a player is doing and so if a player can run around the field after they score a goal why can't a coach show some passion and emotion i don't think there's anything wrong with passion and emotion and yeah should he run out on the field probably not but i love it when he runs up and down the sideline or he looks to the fans and he gives the the fist pumps and you know i think I, i think it's amazing because players recognize That it's about them and it's about the process and it's about the team and the and the program, then, and they see his passion for that. You know, I mean, maybe somebody thinks, well, he's in it for himself or he's just passionate. You know, you know, he got his team to score or whatever. I don't think that's the case with Klopp. Maybe somebody else, I don't know, but I think if if that passion is coming from the right place, I absolutely. I absolutely love it. And, you know, I think maybe people, uh, to bring in Mourinho, you know, he he had shown passion like that from time to time, but maybe people questioned where his passion came from. You know, I, I don't know, his motivation. and I have no clue, don't know. I know Mourinho's a, obviously been a phenomenal manager in the league, but I agree with you 100%. And I didn't get to watch that game. I was driving back from a recruiting event And I was listening to it on XM radio. So I didn't get to it or to appreciate how fluky that goal was until after I got home and I could watch the replay of it. (laughs) Well,
0: uh, my son, uh, he, he plays a little bit of goalkeeper and he, one of the goalkeepers that he likes is, uh, is Jordan Pickford, uh, for Everton. And, uh, part of it was the success that Pickford had at the world cup, uh, last summer, you know, and, um, so he and I are both watching the game, and I I let a few curse words slip out uh, <laughs> when all it happened, uh, and he sort of looked at me and he goes, "Dad," he goes, "I I understand," he goes, "It's okay," he goes, "That was awful," and um, yeah, what a what a bizarre set of circumstances, but uh, yeah, anyway. So I, I promised you that uh, no more than 45 minutes and I want to be uh, respectful of your time because I know you got a, a full slate. Um, if, uh, if folks want to connect with you, Aaron, and uh, kind of follow along in your journey uh, as a coach, um, how can they do that? Um, I mean,
1: I guess the the uh, Ohio soccer coach is the Twitter handle and um, obviously or OhioBobcats.com and or... Ohio W soccer on Instagram, um, is our, our, and then Ohio W soccer on Twitter is our, um, Twitter handle for the program. So Ohio W soccer on Twitter and Instagram, and then Ohio soccer coach is my own personal Twitter, which is 90% related around soccer. (laughs) 90%. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not a bad thing, by the way. Uh, Eight, mine is uh, mine's the same. Yeah, it's an 8%. Well, no, it's 90% probably have 80% soccer, 15% family, and f- every now and then a political thing will come out. And I, that's just, I try very hard not to do that, but every now and then it slips. So, um, but it's mostly soccer and it's mostly what I, I, I try to encourage our team through our Twitter or, um, uh, shout out to players in our program and just throw some ideas out there and some quotes that I find uh, interesting and helpful.
0: I'm so uh, thankful that you and I were able to get connected and, um, it actually started because of social media and, uh, I think Instagram maybe. And, um, you know, cool. I, uh, you know, uh, sort of was following along in your journey and, uh, know that, you know, how much of a family guy you are, um, and trying to juggle, you know, all these, uh, different plates you have in the air. And, um, yeah, uh, as a guy who lives a, a state over, I completely admire that because, you know, I feel like I, I, I fail most days. Uh, I, my wife and I, we have three kids and, uh, you know, they're all under 10 and, um, it's tough. I mean, trying to be a coach, trying to have a full-time job, uh, doing the podcast. Uh, it's a, a, lot of, uh, you know, balls in the air and, um, yeah, but I, I definitely admire what you're doing. So keep
1: well, up the good work. Well, I, I appreciate that a hundred percent. I mean, and, and I think humility is being able to recognize that we're, uh, fallible is, is so important. And I appreciate what you have to say about, how the challenge it is to be a, a dad, a husband, uh, a professional. And those are things that, that I struggle with every day. And I just try to, I just try to put it out there as, as much as I can that, that uh, you know, and I, and I appreciate what you have to say and, uh, and thank you.
0: Well, uh, Aaron, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on the latest episode of, uh, the on the touchline podcast and wish you and the, uh, the Ohio program, uh, nothing, But success going forward, man, and uh, looking forward to to following along in your journey.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, I will continue to follow your podcast and everything you guys got going on as well. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. My sincerest thanks to Aaron Rodgers for coming on the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Uh, Aaron, it was absolutely enjoyable to talk to you and wish you and your program nothing but success at Ohio and keep doing great things. I hope we have the opportunity to uh, connect in person uh, sometime soon. So what did we learn in this episode of the podcast? We learned that creating that desirable culture within your program, it takes time. It's hard work. It is a process of figuring it out through your experiences. It's very similar to developing your coaching philosophy, that all these things together and learning from a number of voices and opinions actually shapes who you are as a coach and what type of culture you want for your program. The second thing we learned, that you have to play the long game to get to where you wanna go. So whether you're starting your journey right out of college or right out of high school, or if you're a little bit later getting in the coaching game, it's just starting. And be willing to put the work in to get to where you want to go. Volunteer, bag balls, take every opportunity that presents itself to get better, network with people, learn from some of the best that are out there. And last but not least, in terms of things we've learned from this episode, It is absolutely okay to be introspective. There is so much to gain from taking a step back, reflecting, identifying your strengths, your weaknesses. What are you good at? Where can you improve? And how you can get better as a coach. There's so much to be gained from the mental side of our sport. I hope you've enjoyed episode 24 of the On the Touchline podcast. New episodes of this show are available every Wednesday and every Saturday. And if you like what you hear on this show, whether it be this episode or a previous episode, please be sure to share it out on social media. And you can tag me at any time at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter or Instagram. new episode coming next week. And thanks again for listening. This has been the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.